Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Okay, uh, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Knife. Uh, Behind the Knife has a lot of exciting things coming up this year. Uh, one of the most exciting things we have is we brought on two new adjunct uh, members to Behind the Knife. Uh, we brought on Megana Kashyap and Shreya Gupta. Um, these are two residents that are entering the research years, and they have agreed to join us and help us record throughout the next year. So, uh, Megana, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little about yourself. Okay. Sure. Hi, I'm Megana. Uh, I just completed my second year of general surgery at the University of Nebraska. Um, I'm currently in Philadelphia to do my research at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia um, in the area of fetal surgery interventions. And great. And our other uh, new adjunct member is Shreya Gupta. Hi, uh, I'm so happy to be on board. I, I just finished finished my PGY2 at Case Western in Cleveland and moved to Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm starting my uh, research fellowship in surgical oncology at the NIH. Great. And they have lots of new exciting ideas that they're going to bring to Behind the Knife this year to help uh, take us to the next level. Uh, and of course, we would be amiss if we did not thank Udo for all of his hard work over the past year. And I'm sure he will be helping us in the future on uh, different Behind the Knife projects. And uh, this week, without further ado, we have another Mock Orals. And I know these are pretty popular, so uh, everyone enjoy. Okay, welcome to another uh, Behind the Knife Mock Orals episode. Uh, today we have Dr. Argavon Salas. She is a minimally invasive surgeon and assistant professor at the Washington University School of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Salas, thank you for being with us and doing this with us today. Oh, no problem. Thanks for the invitation. All right, so let's just uh, jump right into it. I think I'll be the first victim, so uh, let's do it. Okay. So um, you have, are seeing a 78-year-old man referred to you with symptoms of reflux. He's had an upper endoscopy, which showed a hiatal hernia. He's got high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, and past surgeries include a vasectomy and prostatectomy. You're seeing him in the office. What do you want to do? Okay. Well, um, I'll start by a thorough history and physical exam focused um, on... Uh, his, feel, uh, his symptoms, regurgitation, if he has any dysphagia, difficulty swallowing, um, uh, any uh, smoking or alcohol history, um, as well as any family history of any malignancies. Yeah, so um, pretty much as far as his uh, past history and everything I told you is all that you need to know. Um, it, with regard to his present illness, he does have some dysphagia occasionally, um, but mainly it's just a burning sensation that he has. Okay, and, and dysphagia for uh, solids or liquids or both? Uh, mainly to solids, okay. if it happens. It's, it's not his major concern. Okay, I'd also want to know if he's ever been treated uh, with the PPI and if that's helped at all. Um, in addition, I do a physical exam focusing on any uh, lymphadenopathy um, and then, of course, review his uh, imaging from his uh, EGD, uh, which said he had, um, to see if it, what type of, uh, if it was a sliding hernia or a parasophageal hernia. Yeah, so, uh, sorry, what was the first thing you had asked? Oh, I said I do a physical yeah, exam. About a physical exam. Yeah, physical exam was normal. Okay. No enlarged lymph nodes. Um, and then uh, his endoscopy 
you know, there's the mucosa totally normal and it looks like a, you know, two to three centimeter hiatal hernia is what they think. Okay. Uh, well, again, I'd want to know if he's been on a PPI and if that's helped, if he's really, if he... uh, he's been on a PPI for like 10 years. Um, and when he first started on it, it was reasonably effective for him. Um, but now it's not seeming like it's doing okay. much for him. Okay. And they've tried, you know, his GI doctor switched him on a few different things and none of it seems to work. Okay. Well, in that case, um, I would uh, start, uh, I would counsel him that uh, I think that he's likely a candidate for an anti-reflux procedure and this could help him. And I would start uh, working him up for that to include uh, medical optimization to make sure all his comorbidities are well controlled, um, to make sure that he has good functional status um, and that this regurgitation isn't uh, atypical chest pain. So I'd get an EKG. Um, and as far as preparing him for a potential anti-reflux procedure, I would want him to get a barium swallow as well as a uh, esophageal uh, P, 24 pH study and a uh, esophageal manometry. Okay, great. So, yeah, he's in actually reasonable condition, and even when he walks in, he looks pretty much younger than his stated age. Um, he, you got an EKG, it's normal. Um, barium swallow shows a large parasophageal hernia. Um, pH probe, they had difficulty um, placing it, but they, they think that maybe he had some additional uh, abnormal acid exposure. And the manometry they weren't really able to do because he's at a local hospital and they're not that comfortable doing manometry in uh, people with large parasophageal hernia. Okay. Um, well, with his uh, you know, large parasophageal hernia, um, you know, ideally I'd like to... Uh, I'd like to um, uh, get that manometry to make sure he has normal esophageal function. Uh, but uh, I know that people with long-standing large parasophageal hernias typically have some level of esophageal dysmotility. Um, I would counsel him that he'd be a good candidate for a parasophageal hernia repair, um, and uh, I would likely and and, and a uh, fundoplication. What what kind of fundoplication? Um, I would do a, uh, a three sixty wrap over a large uh, bougie. What kind of large bougie? What size? Uh, at least a 50 French, if not 54. Okay. Um, can you tell me the steps of that operation? Uh, sure. So I would um, do a laparoscopic uh, parasophageal hernia repair. So I would gain access and uh, triangulate my ports to the uh, GE junction. Um, I would start uh, by uh, taking down the or opening the lesser sac, uh, preserving the uh, hepatic uh, branches of the vagus, uh, dissect out my cruse uh, with, with uh, traction and uh, energy device, typically an end seal or similar. I would mobilize uh, the um, uh, parasophageal hernia and the hernia sac um, and do a uh, uh, circumferentially dissect the esophagus, taking care to preserve the uh, vagus, um, and then I would do a high mediastinal mobilization of the esophagus. Um, once I have a good two to three centimeters of the GE junction and the hernia sac completely reduced, I would uh, approximate the cruise with a permanent suture, typically an ethabond. Um, if there's, uh, um, and then I would uh, mobilize the fundus, uh, mobilize the the um, short gastrics off the fundus until I could perform a uh, floppy, uh, loose uh, 360 wrap, posterior wrap around the esophagus, uh, form this over, like I said, a 50 or a 54 um, French bougie. Uh, 
Okay. Um, so you do all that, and uh, the next day, and you, you know, you think everything goes pretty much according to plan. Um, and the next day, the patient is <clears throat> when you go to see the patient in the morning. There's like a cup sitting next to him, and he's been spitting up his saliva all night long because right. it won't go down. Okay. Uh, so, uh, a, a some dysphagia after a, um, a, a wrap is normal if he can't handle his own secretions. That is, of course, very worrisome. Um, uh, in, in that instance, if he can't even imagine, handle his own secretions, I would take him back to the operating room and, re- and uh, I think the wrap is too tight. Um, I would uh, take it down and perform a partial wrap. Okay. What kind of partial wrap would you like to do? Uh, for him, I would do a... Um, a toupee, a posterior 270. Okay. Um, so let's say at the beginning you had been able to do the manometry. We're going to go back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's say you'd done a manometry and you got back that it, basically 80% of the swallows had failed and the, the ones that were successful had low amplitudes. What yeah. kind of wrap would you do the first time around? Uh, so in that instance, I would not do a full 360 wrap. I would do... Um, Either a, a partial posterior or a, uh, either a toupee or a door, uh, likely a door, which is an anterior 180. Okay. Um, and then let's say you do that, you do a door, and then six weeks out from surgery, the mm-hmm. patient's calling the office saying he can't swallow very much. It feels like things are sticking quite a bit when he, when he tries to eat. Okay. Uh, uh, six months out, I would, um, I would, I would obtain a... a fluoroscopy, uh, barium swallow, uh, see where things are getting uh, hung up there, um, and, uh, potentially do, um, an EGD with a pneumatic dilation. Okay. That sounds fine. Uh, and then let's say you had done, you had gotten the pH probe and, um, preoperatively mm-hmm. and it was normal, but you had the barium swallow showing the large parasophageal hernia. Does that change anything for you? Uh, well, if he has a symptomatic parasophageal hernia, I would still offer him a, a repair, um, even if the pH probe is normal. Um, I'd potentially get um, an impedance study to see if he's, um, and of course, evaluate for any esophagitis on EGD. Okay. I think that's good for that one. Okay. You ready for the next one? Let's do it. Okay. So uh, you got a 56-year-old woman who has a history of a gastric bypass um, done by someone else somewhere else, and she comes into the emergency department with abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. Her vitals are normal, and she's otherwise healthy. Okay. Um, so I would, of course, uh, go you know evaluate the patient. You said her vitals are normal. I would perform physical exams, specifically uh, looking for any, any abdominal distension, any abdominal pain, any abdominal tenderness. Um, I w- would uh, obtain IV access um, and uh, send off a basic set of labs to include a CBC, uh, chemistry, LFT, LFTs, amylase, lipase, and a UA. Okay. So um, on exam, she's got some mild tenderness uh, in the left upper quadrant, um, but otherwise relatively normal. Um, labs come back essentially normal, except for her creatinine is up to 2.2. Okay. Um, well, she sounds like she is stable but dehydrated. Um, and a, a patient with uh, um, this 
presentation. Um, I'm sorry, did you say she was having uh, nausea and vomiting or uh, just pain? Mm -hmm. Okay, nausea, vomiting. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Any any other significant past medical or surgical history that I need to know about? Nope. Okay. Um, Well, if she's stable enough, uh, first off, I would start resuscitating her because she seemed dehydrated with an elevated creatinine, uh, resuscitate her with uh, isotonic, Mm -hmm. isotonic fluids. Um, uh, if she, I would, uh, obtain, uh, if she's stable, I would obtain some imaging, um, uh, upright, uh, plain film. Um, in this instance, I would get, uh, a CT with no, uh, a non-contrast CT given her uh, renal function. Um, and potentially mm-hmm. if I, if, potentially if I could have her, uh, swallow, if she could, uh, swallow a little bit of contrast, if she's significantly nauseous and vomiting, I would skip that and just get a non-con CT. Mhm. Okay. Yeah. So you can you get a non-con uh, CT scan, and she's got some um, dilated bowel. It looks like a short segment of it, but it's dilated up in the left upper quadrant. Okay. Um, and there's maybe a little bit of free fluid. Okay. So, Mike, I have a very high concern for internal hernia in this patient. Um, of course, she could have um, a, a just an adhesive small bowel obstruction. Regardless, I would take her to the operating room for a diagnostic laparoscopy. Okay. So, uh, you take her to the operating room. How are you going to position her on the table? Uh, so, I would um, position her... Um, uh, uh, supine um, arms out would be fine. Um, I would place a foley uh, intraoperatively, um, and uh, mm-hmm. and what is her current BMI? Has she had significant? Her weight current loss? BMI is twenty eight. Okay, she had good weight loss. Okay, her bypass. Okay, so supine arms um, out is so, fine. Yep, that's fine. Supine arms out, and then you're gonna um, do a diagnostic laparoscopy. So you're gonna put your get your access, however you're gonna do it, and mm-hmm. once you get your scope in, what, what are you going to do? What are you looking for? Uh, so I'm going to try and assess her anatomy. Um, so I'm looking for if there's a dilated, dilated segment. I'm looking for if the, if the bowel seems viable. I'm looking for an internal hernia, mm-hmm. adhesions. Um, okay. you know, I would start... How are you going to do that? How are you going to look for an internal hernia? I'm sorry, say it again? How, how are you going to assess whether you've got an internal hernia okay. or not? Um, well, I would start uh, with, you know... It kind of depends on what her anatomy gives me. I'd probably start at her GJ and run her room limb down to her JJ, identify her BP and her common limb. I would try to run each one of those uh, individually and uh, assess uh, the different um, potential spaces. Uh, again, if she had any adhesions, I would uh, take care of those. If I would examine Peterson's defect, I would examine the defect at her JJ. Depending on if she had a retrocolic or anticolic construction, I would I would look to, at the um, the defect in the uh, mesocolon to see if there's a herniation there. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, okay, so you start looking, you start at the GJ like you described, and mm-hmm. you're kind of proceeding uh, distally, and you get to a point where you, you kind of can't pull it anymore, and you're stuck. You can't, you haven't quite gotten the bowel through but you're, you're stuck you can't pull anymore yeah in that case the next the next maneuver i would try is i would uh, would identify her terminal ileum and i would start running backwards because uh, sometimes you can reduce them okay. uh, in this manner okay so let's say you do all that you find a uh, defect let's say it was an anti-colic gastric bypass mm-hmm. and uh, you find that the small bowel had herniated through the um, space between the small bowel mesentery and the transverse colon, okay. you're going to reduce that bowel, and then are you going to close the defect? 
Uh, yeah, well, first I'm going to assess that bowel and, and make sure that it looks uh, viable, um, uh, make sure it pinks up and make sure it doesn't look like it's compromised or, or necrotic. Um, if that looks okay, then yes, I'm going to I'm going to close the defect. Um, it sounds like you're describing a Peterson's defect. I'm going to, um, I would use a, a permanent suture, so uh, a, a silk suture okay. um, to uh, close that defect. Okay. So you do all that. The, the bowel looked a little bit dusky initially, but after you finished sewing, um, you know, you looked at it again and it looked fine. Um, so what are you going to do for her post-operatively? Uh, so post-operatively, so uh, interoperatively, I'm, I'm um, uh, so uh, post-operatively, I'm going to keep her NPO and, and monitor her um, and uh, wait for return of bowel function um, with the serial exams. Okay. Um, so let's say she does well, she goes home, um, whenever you decide you're going to discharge her and then she comes back a month or two later, um, and she's got abdominal pain. What are you going to do in the clinic? She's seeing in the clinic. Okay. Um, so I'm going to kind of start from the beginning with my exam, see if she's tender, um, if she's uh, nauseous, if she's vomiting, um, and, uh, more than likely I'm going to, um, you know, get a set of labs and probably ad- admit her. And if she's stable, I'm going to repeat imaging, uh, ideally with IV and oral contrast, if she can tolerate it. So, uh, let's say she's totally stable and she's just telling you that, you know, sometimes when she eats, it hurts, um, basically kind of right at the upper part of her abdomen, okay. almost retrosternal a little bit. Got it. Okay. Um, kind of epigastric and it's, I mean, she's mostly doing okay, but the pain is kind okay. of bothersome for her. I got gotcha. you. In, in that case, um, uh, I would be concerned um, that uh, for something like a, a marginal ulcer. So I would um, uh, uh, perform, a, or I would get her prepared to per, perform a, an upper endoscopy. I would ask her about um, a PPI use, NSAID use, smoking, um, or any risk factors for marginal ulcer. Yeah, so she doesn't have any uh, risk factors aside from her anatomy, and you do a um, EGD, and uh, they do indeed see a marginal ulcer, and so you're going to treat that, and then she feels better. That's it. Okay. Great. So, um, do you want feedback now on those two? Yeah, let's do feedback on those two, and then and then we'll we'll turn you over to Kevin. Great. Um, so I thought you did pretty well. Um, the one main thing to keep in mind is if you, uh, like the person who's examining you is never going to be writing down all, they're not taking notes on your questions. Yeah. So if you say, I want to know, and then list 10 things, they're never going to remember that. And that's actually what happened was I was trying to keep up with what you were asking for, but it's very hard for people to remember the 10 different things that you said in a long list. Got so, it. Got it. You know, you, you can still ask for all those things if you want, but I would just pick two or three and say, let's start with these two or three things and then they'll give you the answers. And then if you still need all those other things that you said, then just kind of stepwise proceed through them. Okay. Um, uh, uh, what was I going to say? So that's my main thing for both of them for the parasophageal hernia. I think you did well. Um, they may not like that a couple different times you, you were saying, I would do this or that, you know, because in the OR, you can't just do this or that. You have to you have to pick yeah. one. Um, and it was both when I asked you about the size of the bougie, you said, well, a 50 or maybe a 54. And then when I asked you about um, 
your patient, when you took the patient back, you were like, well, I think I would do a toupee. And then when I changed the scenario, you were like, well, I might do a door or I might do a toupee. Um, And then you said, I think I would do a door. Just like pick pick something, whatever it is. Um, Probably for the bougie size, you know, maybe some institutional variation there, but probably a 54 or 60 is safe and just pick one and say that's what you're going to use if if they ask. Um, And then, between a door and a toupee, I mean, I, I don't think there's any data suggesting that one is better than the other. So you probably don't want to be inconsistent, though, and say, like, for the first scenario, you're going to do a toupee, and then later on, you're going to do a door, because that makes me wonder why in the world you would do that. Yeah. Like, how are you making that decision? Um, but uh, otherwise, I thought you did well. The six weeks after, when the patient has dysphagia, it wouldn't be wrong to do a swallow, but I think most people probably would just go straight to an endoscopy um, and save that extra step because the most likely thing is they have a little bit of narrowing there and they're going to need it dilated. Yeah, okay. And you can find that out and treat it at the same time, but that's a minor thing. I mean, it was not wrong to do a swallow. Um, oh, on the steps of the operation, um, the very one of the very first things you said was that you, you would get into the lister sac and evaluate for the, uh, or try to avoid the hepatic branches of the vagus. So I think that you meant you were going to get in through the gastrohepatic ligament. Yeah, that's what um, I meant. Yeah. I don't know that most people think of that space being as lesser sac, even if it's continuous with. Usually then when you say lesser sac, most of us, I think, are thinking you're between like the gastrocolic or the gastrosplenic ligament. Yeah, I got you it. Know? Yeah, understood. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I knew you knew what you're talking about because then you said hepatic branches of the vagus, and so that reoriented me. But it was just confusing for a moment. Got it. Um, but no, I thought I thought that was pretty good. And then the the second case, um, the internal hernia, you did well. You know, perfect to resuscitate the first patient first. A lot of people forget to do that. Um, you don't, by the way, need to say things like, I would do a thorough history. In fact, the, the well, Frank Lewis, I guess, has retired now, but um, he, the morning of, would tell people, do not say you're going to do a thorough history and physical. <laughs> we know you're going to do a thorough history and physical. We've just told you the pertinent things from the history and physical, so don't waste time asking that. Okay. Um, that might be Good a thing, but I know, and I don't know if they're going to still say that to you, but... Um, but he he seemed to feel pretty strongly about that. And they are pretty good about telling you the things that you need to know about the history. They're not usually going to hide, like, oh, actually, this person's a vasculopath and has had 10, you know, aerodobifem or ilio, whatever, bypasses, you know. Yeah. They're not going to withhold inf- important information from you. That's not their goal because they assume that at this point in your career you can do a history and physical. So the question is, once you know what the patient has, do you know what the right thing to do is? Yeah. Um. So for the internal hernia... Uh, the one thing that I think could be problematic for you if you do get a, a case like that, and they might not ask, that's the other thing, they don't ask for the steps for every surgery. I did, but but they don't necessarily do that. Sometimes they just say, okay, you're gonna, you, fine, you did an APR. Now you got this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they may not always ask. But um, it's good to, like you did, have each thing down to a few steps, you know, fewer than seven or eight probably for each procedure. Um, and that's something worth running through and practicing um, with all the different things they can ask you about, just so you know, if I get this, here's what I'm saying are the steps. Um, and then, so for this internal hernia thing, if you were to get something like that, um, you know, probably you're going to have a general surgeon who's the examiner, not necessarily a bariatric surgeon, so they might not catch it. But starting from the GJ is, is a hard way to do it. 
um, which is why I told you that you couldn't progress because that's often what happens. Yeah. Um, you get stuck and you can't pull it all the way through and you have to do what you then said correctly, which is to start from TI. So you might as well just start from TI to begin with. Um, you can actually, if you start proximal, you can actually twist it the wrong way and make it worse. Um, but if you start from distal, it'll just untwist itself as you go. Um, and then for post-op care, you know, I think what you said was not wrong. You said you'd keep the patient MPO and do serial exams and so on. That's a conservative way to go. But most of these patients are fine, like right afterwards. They feel amazing, and you can send them home depending on what time you did it, either the same day or the next day, because they're, like, back to normal. It's, like, a very minor thing for them. So you don't need to keep them around forever. Okay. But what you said was not wrong. Excellent. Um, I think that's all I have. That was a great. That was great. Great feedback. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, good. <laughs> fun. <laughs> All right. All right. It's Kevin's turn. Person, excellent. Okay, so Kevin, you've got a sixty-seven-year-old woman who was referred to you uh, with frequent nausea, vomiting, and dysphagia. Um, past history includes hypertension, hyperglycemia, asthma, and osteoarthritis. She's had no prior surgeries. Okay, um, and am I seeing her in the office? Uh, yeah, you're standing in the office. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I have her history. Is there anything pertinent on her physical? No, normal physical exam. Normal physical exam. Um, is this uh, nausea and vomiting associated with uh, like certain times a day, certain things she eats? Um, is it um, like right yeah. after she eats? It used to be, sorry, yeah, it, it is pretty soon after she eats. And it used to be mainly when she had um, kind of heavier things like, um, meat and stuff that's a little bit tougher to chew, but uh, recently it's become pretty much anything. Even with liquids, she has a hard time really getting getting much down at a time. Okay, um, is her vomit uh, bilious, or is it uh, similar to the contents that she just uh, took down? Yeah, it's just whatever she just had had tried to eat or drink. Okay, all right. Um, does she have any chest pain associated with this, or? Um... Um, sometimes that's not her main feeling. Her main feeling is dysphagia and like sticking. Um, but sometimes it does cause her pain. Okay. Um, so at this point, uh, I'm concerned about some sort of, uh, either esophageal mass or, uh, stricture or something in her stomach that is uh, causing her this sensation. So I'd get some labs, um, uh, CBC, BMP and some nutrition labs on her. And then I'd also get, uh, start with a barium swallow on her. Okay, so her labs are normal, um, and then you wanted a barium swallow, right? Yes. Okay, so barium swallow um, shows her esophagus is a little bit dilated, um, and it narrows pretty significantly uh, just around the area of the GE junction. Okay. Um, so at this point, I would uh, proceed with an EGD um, to look for any masses that could be uh, causing this, or if it's more consistent sure. with achalasia. So, mm-hmm. Yep. So you do an endoscopy, and basically they see a pretty um, severe narrowing of the distal esophagus right around the GE junction. Mm-hmm. No masses. No masses. And are they able to uh, visualize the stomach? Are they able to get through, or is it? Yeah, they, they actually had to do it with a pediatric scope, but they were able to get through, and the stomach was fine. And no masses. Okay. Um, and then does she have any history of scleroderma um, or... Any other uh, connective tissue disorders? I, I, I don't believe you said that. No, she, did. she doesn't. Okay. And she's otherwise uh, good health status, um, relatively. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, just to confirm uh, the diagnosis and to help uh, for operative planning, I would get a uh, manometry on her. Sure. Yeah. So you do a manometry and um, she's got 100% failed swallows and a hypertensive LES that does not relax. Okay. Um, so at this point, I would discuss with her. Um, there's a, a few options for this uh, to include uh, medical management with calcium channel blockers, potentially um, Botox. And, what, what do you think she has? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, she, all of her tests are consistent with achalasia. Um, and yeah. um, so I would uh, discuss the different options with her at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, some, of the, some options that are available, but I wouldn't recommend would be uh, medical therapy with calcium channel blockers, potentially dilations, um, and, or potentially Botox injections. Um, but I would counsel her that these are likely ineffective in the long term, Um, and that I would recommend for her to get a Heller myotomy, um, to uh, have a permanent solution to this. Okay, great. So she says, sure, doc, let's go for it. I'm miserable. So what are you going to do in the OR? Okay, once she's uh, typed and screened and um, she gets her preoperative antibiotics, um, I would um, put her in the the split leg position and um, I would uh, start by getting access uh, in the midline and place uh, two ports on either side and then elevate the edge of the liver um, with a liver retractor. Um, I would then enter uh, the uh, gastrohepatic ligament and uh, identify the right cruise and uh, get circumferentially around the esophagus, uh, being sure to preserve uh, the vagus nerve, uh, specifically in this case the anterior vagus, um, as that's where I'll be making my myotomy. Um, and um, I would then uh, mobilize the esophagus um, into the mediastinum to the length um, that I will need to uh, perform my myotomy. I'll then use electrocautery uh, to open up the longitudinal and circular uh, fibers um, from two centimeters on the stomach all the way up to six meter, six centimeters uh, proximal onto the esophagus, uh, ensuring not to uh, damage the underlying mucosa. And then I'd perform okay, a, I'd gonna, perform a leak is, test at the end. I'd perform a leak test at the end to make sure I, I hadn't inadvertently damaged the mucosa. Okay, are you are you performing your myotomy over anything? Are you putting anything in the esophagus as you're doing your myotomy? Uh, yes, yes. I would have a um, a uh, 54 French bougie. In sure. The and then so after you do your myotomy, you're going to do a leak test, and then are you done? Uh, no, at that point, then I would perform a uh, door uh, fund application, 180-degree anterior uh, wrap. So at that point, I would have to uh, mobilize the... Uh, fundus of the stomach, um, and uh, perf- you know, bring an anterior over my myotomy um, and tack it down uh, to the esophagus. And at that point, okay. Would- and then, then you're done after that. Yes. Okay. All right. So you do that, and um, the next. Day, are you going to do or do you routinely do a swallow for these patients? Uh, yeah, I would. I would do a post update one swallow study. Okay, so you do a swallow study um, post-op day one, and everything looks good, let's say. Okay, let's go back in time for a second and say that while you're in the OR, um, 
you're doing your myotomy and you actually know that you went a little bit too deep with your cautery and you've got a hole now in the esophagus. If that were, uh, if that were the case, I would, um, I would at this point close, um, the myotomy, um, completely, um, you know, I would use a uh, absorbable suture in the mucosa and then a uh, permanent suture on the, the muscularis layers um, to close um, my perforation. Uh, I would then perform a leak test. If my leak test was negative at that point, I would um, re-perform a myotomy on a uh, separate, uh, more lateral segment of esophagus to attempt to give her uh, relief from her achalasia. Okay, all right, let's go on to the next one. Um, You're seeing a 45-year-old woman in the ED. Um, She had a gastric bypass two years ago, and she comes in with abdominal pain. In the ED, she is tachycardic and hypotensive, and her abdomen is quite tender. Okay, uh, with this patient, uh, I'll start with the ABCs and uh, make sure she has two large bore IVs. Um, She's uh, clearly sick, so I'd uh, get some isotonic fluids and antibiotics. Uh, started on her immediately while we proceed with the workup. Um, I would send off uh, a full uh, set of labs, um, CBC, CMP, and uh, type and cross. Um, And at this point, and then I would, um, is she, after my initial resuscitation, is is she stable at this point, or is she, uh, what is her exam like at this point? Uh, well, how much fluid have you given? I've given her two liters of fluid and uh, two grams of antibiotics. Okay. So she, um, uh, sorry, two liters of fluid and two grams of what? Uh, like cefatitin or in third generation okay, cephalosporin. Sure. Yeah. So she's still tachycardic um, and her blood pressure is a little better. Like let's say it was 80s originally. Now her systolic is in the 100s. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's uh, really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um so at this point, I would just get a uh, upright abdominal uh, plain X-ray um, as I'm waiting for my labs to come back. Uh, so you say upright abdominal film? Yeah, just to see if there's free air at this point. Okay. Well, um, shall I the truth? They do an upright abdominal film, but you don't see the diaphragms in the X-ray. So it's hard to tell. Okay. Um, so at this point, she sounds... You know she's going to be going to the OR either way, but I think if I if she's it sounds like she's stable enough at this point. Um, did her creatinine come back? Yeah, um, let's say it was one point four. One point four. Um, at this point, I I would uh, take her to the CT scanner for uh, a CT with uh, one dose of oral, um, just like as she's um, laying down on the table and IV contrast. So oral CT scan with oral and IV contrast. Yes. Okay. So you do that, and um, on the scan, there are, are definitely pockets of extraluminal air up um, around the G-junction area, or I shouldn't really say that, but kind of in the upper abdomen. Um, there are pockets of free air, and there's a little bit of your oral contrast that has leaked out. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so at this point, um, I have a, a patient that is uh, septic with a evidence of a perforation. Um, so 
and she's had a previous history of a gastric bypass. So I'm, I'm concerned about a marginal ulcer uh, perforation would be my highest uh, differential. Um, and mm-hmm. Once she's adequately resuscitated, I would take her to the operating room for a diagnostic laparoscopy and likely uh, uh, washout and gram patch closure of this perforation. Okay, so let's see. Let's say you get in there and you're looking up kind of where the GJ is, and you don't see anything. That it looks pristine. It's clean and pink, and there's no nothing abnormal right there. Okay, even on the posterior aspect of the the GJ. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some adhesions, right? Because you've had surgery before, right. but everything looks clean. So you know, and she's not well. So I don't know that you're going to spend right. a lot of time. Yeah taking do, down those lesions do, to look posteriorly, but no, that area all looks fine. Do I see um, any evidence of, um, you know, I'll, I'll then start by kind of running um, down from my GJ down to my JJ um, would be my two highest uh, likely. Well, where do you think, if she, if she, you thought she had a marginal ulcer and if she does not seem to have that, what's the next most likely thing that's going to give you free air in the upper abdomen? Um. So she could have a um, a complication or obstruction at her JJ um, that could cause her uh, remnant stomach um, to potentially have problems uh, to blow up. Um, so that would be another area that I would look at her remnant stomach and see if there's any evidence of um, mm-hmm. of. And then her JJ is a frequent site of complication, also. Okay, so let's say you look at her. Um distal stomach, the disconnected stomach, and uh, that looks, the you know, proximal part looks okay, but as you're getting a little bit more distal, you see some grimy stuff there and mm. some areas where the omentum seems to have, like, locked, latched itself on. Interesting. Yeah, so I guess uh, there's no reason she can't have just a uh, duodenal uh, ulcer perforation um, after this surgery. Um, so... Um, if that appears to be, is it, does it appear to be um, in her, you know, duodenum, the the area of inflammation? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So as you keep looking, you see the momentum down and you find a small perforated duodenal ulcer. Okay. Um, so at this point, um, I would, uh, you know, irrigate and uh, clean the area and uh, debride the uh, duodenum to healthy tissue. Um I would then uh, mobilize a uh, portion of uh, omentum um, to use as a gram patch, and I would um, loosely approximate the edges of the duodenum and then uh, suture in over top the uh, piece of omentum. Um, I would leave a drain. Um, At this point in time, um, I would not perform any acid-reducing procedures um, as she's not been treated for this in the past. and I would, uh, you know, I, I would like to test her for H. pylori uh, postoperatively. Um, but at this point, okay, I, I, so I would get out, yeah. Okay. And uh, are you going to keep her on some antibiotics? Yes. Um, I'm going to keep her on uh, antibiotics for 24 hours postoperatively and then treat her empirically for H. pylori uh, following that um, with clarithromycin, erythromycin, and omeprazole. Okay. Um, so let's say 
about five days later, she's still in the hospital because she's just not able to uh, eat or drink very much. Um, her belly's pretty distended, and, and her white count is creeping up. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, how many days after am I now? Five days. Five days. Um, I would, uh, you said her white count's creeping up. Um, I'm concerned that mm-hmm. she could likely have a uh, post-operative abscess um, given her free perforation. Um, so I would um, get a, a CT with uh, IV contrast. Okay, so you do a CT scan with IV contrast and you see what looks like um, a fluid pocket uh, right near the duodenum, say, anteriorly. Okay. Um all right. And does it appear, uh, is it rim enhancing? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so at this point I would, um, talk to interventional radiology about draining that. Okay. Great. I think that's good for that one. Right. Um, <laughs> I said the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's stressful, right? <laughs> Um, so the, the first one, um, was pretty good. Uh, definitely got to the right diagnosis, which is achalasia. Um, and I, I kind of liked actually that you said, well, you have these other options, but I don't recommend them for these reasons. I thought that was good. Um, the procedure, you don't need to be as granular as saying that you're going to put in a liver retractor, (laughs) you know, like I think. That's assumed. Um, You kind of want to stick to what are the key portions of the procedure. So for something like like achalasia, then I think you're going to get into uh, the gastropathic ligament or whatever you want to call it. Um, But get into that space, find the cruise, do a circumferential dissection, all that you described. Um, You did say something a little bit funny with your wording at that point when you were talking about mobilizing the esophagus. You said something like you wanted to mobilize as much esophagus as you needed to down into the abdomen to do your myotomy, but then later you said you were going to do a six centimeter myotomy, and you're not going to get six centimeters of intraabdominal esophagus. I don't think that's what you meant, but right. that's, that's how it came out. So just be mindful of that. You can just say you're going to mobilize uh, circumferentially, and uh, like Jason had said earlier, until you have two to three centimeters of intraabdominal esophagus is usually sufficient. Okay. Um, and then the the um, mobilization of the fundus or taking down the short gastric. That's typically something you're going to do, you know, before you start your myotomy. You're going to usually do all your dissection up front and then get down to doing your myotomy and then your wrap. But it's not wrong. What you did isn't wrong, but maybe not the most efficient uh, path. And there are things uh, that people will will give you um, trouble with like I specifically pushed you on that because you hadn't done that dissection so was, and then also of course I was like well you need to do a wrap and I wasn't quite sure you were going to do it <laughs> um so they will prompt you sometimes for things like that but a, right. a, a friend of mine had um a gallbladder just a routine kind of gallbladder case that he was doing but he needed to do a cholangiogram and he had forgotten to describe putting a clip on the gallbladder side of the cystic duct <sighs> So they just kept telling him there's bile pouring down. You can't see anything. There's bile, bile, bile. Uh, so even minor things like that, you know, right. you do want to kind of 
things through the key key things, right. but again, not say every little thing. Yeah, um, but I think you're you're right to do the the myotomy. And you said how high up you would go and how much down onto the stomach and and the fundoplication and all that. Um, if you have a perf in the OR, so I I think it depends. And and you didn't ask, and I didn't really tell you exactly where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's reasonably low, you can just continue on and basically do a door. I mean, you can put a stitch in the mucosa, uh, but then just do a door okay. at the end, which is what you already had done in the first time around. Um, if, if it is very far away and you're not going to get it covered by a door, I don't think it's wrong to do what you did, but typically then people will do a posterior myotomy, which is really hard to do. Yeah, that sounds Um, good. as opposed to lateral. Okay. Um, the only other thing, some people believe in getting an Eckhart score on people. It's a minor point, and I don't think it really matters, but just for thoroughness. For the workup? That's a preoperative assessment that you can do, mainly to help track people afterwards to see how they're doing compared to the, how they were before, because people can get recurrent achalasia, which is an ugly thing to deal with. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that was it. That was pretty good otherwise. And then the um, ulcer, uh, the perforated ulcer, I think you, you recognize that it was, that the patient was sick, which is good. Uh, you resuscitated her first, which is good. Um, you gave her antibiotics pretty immediately, and it wasn't clear to me what you were treating because um, all we had was tachycardia and hypotensive, and she could have been bleeding. Right. Yeah. Um, and antibiotics wouldn't have helped you there. Um, so I, I, I like that you were looking for a solution and trying to implement it quickly. But you, you could have maybe spent a minute to get uh, an upright chest X-ray to prove right. that she had a perf. And that's the other thing. Oh, if you got an upright KV, <laughs> that will usually cover right. the ground that you need. That's a good point. Upright yeah. chest is the... Probably better film. Most definitely. common answer, but yeah, it's gonna and that's gonna for sure show you that the diaphragm is right. what you want to see. Um, and then you're absolutely right that a lot of times these people have a marginal ulcer that's perforated. Um, but this is actually a patient that I had who she had a duodenal ulcer. I mean, there's like you said, there's no reason they can't get a perforated duodenal ulcer. Right. Um, it's annoying and unexpected, but it can happen. <laughs> um, and then postoperatively. Um, you know, I don't know that there's a right answer, but I'm not sure 24 hours of antibiotics is all people would do. I think, you know, when people uh, talk about source control and all that, most people are talking about four to five days at yeah, least. definitely. Um, I should have said that. That's... And so I gave you an abscess because yeah. she didn't have adequate treatment. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I didn't push you on, but um, for these patients who've had like a gastric perf or, or even a proximal duodenal perf, you definitely want to include fluconazole in your mm. um treatment or some sort of antifungal anyway something right right i think that was it so i mean i thought your style was was good and um you were thinking through everything and speaking clearly about what what you thought except for like i did push you on what's the diagnosis so you do want to tell them what you're thinking right um and so one technique that people will use is is even after the first like you know they usually do that they'll give you two or three statements like i did Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, it sounds like, uh, or I'm hearing that we've got, or what it seems like, or something, you know. But it sounds like we've got a 67-year-old woman who's having nausea, vomiting, and dysphagia. I am thinking about blah, blah, blah. Right. And you can say, like, whatever top three things are. So in order to assess which of these things this patient might have, I would like to either ask these questions or get these tests or whatever it is. But it's helpful to let the examiners know what it is you're thinking, Um 
as you're determining what your steps are. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I thought that was good. Great. No, we really appreciate it. We, we always learn a lot every time we do these. And I know all of our listeners out there, these are one of our most highly downloaded uh, content is our oral boards because there's a lot of anxiety around that. And uh, so we really appreciate <laughs> you taking time out of your busy schedule to help us out. Yeah, those are those are really good, no really good scenarios. Really great feedback, and uh, um, and I hope that our listeners appreciate uh, the work that you put into it, but also the uh, that Kevin and I are willing to look stupid in front of all these people. So. <laughs> that's how much yes, we very that's how much very we care. Well done, well done, you both. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, thanks, thanks so much, so much. Until next time, dominate the day.